Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Hi, listeners. Just a quick heads up. Out of the Shadows tell stories of people fleeing and living in sometimes violent environments. I have an old family photo that reminds me of the Brady Bunch because it's a blended family standing outside an idyllic-looking suburban home in 1974. It's mostly a bunch of young, happy faces, and a lot of them are dressed in their dopest 70s attire. There's my tío Domingo sitting on the ground wearing what appears to be one of those long sleeve button-down work shirts. Standing over him is my tía Pule, wearing a smart, ruffled blazer. My abuela Manuela, well, she's dressed like she grew up in the 50s because she did. And then there's my tía Mari with her feathered hair. And next to her, dressed like a Mexican-ass Peter Brady, is my father, with his Levi's button-up open and undone from, like, the stomach up to his full beard and afro. I've seen this family photo a lot because it's one of my favorites of my dad. He looks so fresh and young, and it's from his days before he had a family, when he spent life traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico. But I never really thought about something. My dad isn't documented in this photo, which means he was traveling back and forth without a green card or passport. Like whatever. Like it was no big deal. And the thing is, he wasn't alone. It's hard to believe these days, but there was a time when the border was more fluid. When people like my dad would come to America, work for a few weeks, and go back home to Mexico before millions of people like him began to plant roots here, before they had to choose between staying home in Mexico or having to create a new life in a new country, before the border became so dangerous to cross. So what changed after 1974 when this Mexican Brady Bunch pick was snapped that led to my father and countless others finally deciding to cross the U.S. for good? Well, for starters, in 1975... This thing called the Vietnam War ended. I'm Patty Rodriguez. And I'm Eric Galindo. And this is Out of the Shadows, Children of 86. Immigrants and their children have long lived in the shadows of America. Their destinies aren't just shaped by where they come from, but by their particular place in history. 
1986, the lives of millions of immigrants and their children were changed by one lucky stroke of a pen by an unlikely ally, President Ronald Reagan. This podcast will examine the ripple effects the bill had on first-generation kids of immigrants who are navigating intergenerational mobility and transforming the cultural landscape. This is an untold story of luck, timing, triumph, opportunity, survival, and of course, hope. One thing we don't really think about, one thing that gets lost in the arguments today about immigration, is that the border wasn't always this political argument slash dangerous barrier. You know, the truth is that many of our parents came and went to the U.S. in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, it's wild. I talked to my dad, Manuel, about this, and he said he would cross back and forth. He just drove? Yeah. Por el desierto, o qué? No. Por la línea? My dad says he would just drive across the border. Sometimes the border agents would ask for documentation, which my dad didn't have, so he'd be forced to go back. But most of the time, the agents just waved him through. And that's hard to believe now. But it was also common. Prior to 1965, there were really relatively few limits on immigration from south of the border. That's Charles Kawasaki, author of Immigration Reform, The Corpse That Will Not Die. His book details the amnesty bill, but also the circumstances that led to the migration patterns we saw at the time. There was a circular migration pattern, mainly in agriculture, but in other seasonal industries too, right? Think construction, right? Where where people would go home for the holidays and they would stay home over the winter. The most famous instance of this circular migration pattern is probably the Bracero program. And that started because of the draft. Our present program will train 800,000 additional men this coming year, and somewhat less than a million men each year thereafter. The Bracero program started during World War II as America's men, its labor force, was sent off to fight the war. While women and even children worked the factories, the farm jobs were abundant and labor was scarce. Again, the urgent need. And again, the Labor Department's contributions helped to set records of uninterrupted war production unequaled in the history of this or any other nation. And at that very same time, Mexico was suffering from high unemployment and the U.S. needed workers to grow and harvest our food. So Mexico and the U.S. reached an agreement that would make it easier for people to cross the border for work. America stayed fed during the war, and all these people who didn't have jobs in Mexico found jobs here. All of this while America fought wars in Europe, Korea, and Vietnam. In almost two decades of unrelenting war, American farmers employed more than 4.5 million Mexican men Braceros, men who were here legally and exploited for their cheap labor with promises of a better life for their families back in Mexico. 
And all up until recently, I've come to learn that one of those men was my grandfather, mi papá Miguel. In 1958, mi papá Miguel took a 14-hour bus ride from Jalisco to the contracting station in Empalme, Sonora. Officials would sign up a 1,000 to 2,000 braceros a day and load them up in buses to the states. The bracero program mostly targeted men with families, men like my grandfather, with wives and children, because there was a higher chance that one, all the money earned by the braceros will be sent back to Mexico, benefiting the Mexican economy. And two, they themselves, the braceros, will return back home to their families after their contracts expired, preventing overstays, which is exactly what the U.S. wanted. Mi papá Miguel will leave my grandma and his daughter, my tía, three months at a time to come to California, and every penny he'd make working the fields was sent back home. ¿Y cuánto dinero ganaba allá con los tomates y los espárragos? ¿Cuánto les pagaban? ¿Cuánto crees que ganábamos? Pues no sé. No era tiempo. No sé, pa. Te vas hasta reír, hija. When I asked him how much he'd get paid, he laughed. Not at my question, but at his own recognition of the many ways this country took advantage of them. On a good week, After working 15-hour days, seven days a week, under the scorching sun, mi papá Miguel would make $60 a week. $60 a week. The promises made to these Mexican men, guaranteed wages, clean and free housing, affordable meals, were just that. Promises. Instead, they were treated like criminals. My grandfather recalls how they were constantly harassed by the police. If the braceros did not have their documents, the men would be immediately deported. No questions asked. The braceros were also isolated from the world. When they were not working, they only had each other. They had no social life outside of these camps. My first job was picking boysenberries. That's Dr. Enrique Figueroa, a retired university professor who grew up in Modesto, California during the 60s, the peak of the bracero program. And I saw firsthand where the farm workers lived. I also lived there for the summer. So I had a pretty direct and intimate knowledge of what was going on. Dr. Figueroa says the barracks where the farmers lived housed dozens of workers on hard bunks in tight quarters, kind of like the ones the soldiers were using off in Vietnam. 
And maybe, just like the men in Southeast Asia, the Braceros were worried about straying too far from the barracks. Since Dr. Figueroa was a natural-born citizen, he became their conduit to the little luxuries. I was the beer runner on Saturday nights because workers were not, they didn't want to go off because of papers or because of guards or because of whatever. You heard that right. These farms had guards, supposedly to protect the workers. They carried M16s, and they were there at the ranch every day when there was harvesting going on. So the Bracero program was not exactly ideal, but it was sold as a better alternative to living in abject poverty in Mexico, promising Mexican men jobs that they would never find back home. That changed when the Bracero program ended in 1964. Braceros now found themselves without a job, so a quarter million stay in northern Mexico, ready to go back to work. Many even sent letters to government officials pleading to reinstate the program. My current situation is critical. Economic hardship is the biggest enemy in my home. I am contacting you for help. I am not requesting money. Rather, I am attentively begging you for a job within the federal government. Out of the Shadows will be right back. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 and mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. 
LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Now back to the show. Historically, the Mexican government actually discouraged people from migrating to the U.S. because they didn't want to lose their labor force. But in the 70s, Mexico had a surplus of workers and a growing population. And instead of addressing the issues, they started to fudge the numbers. See, the way unemployment works is there's a pool of people looking for jobs and not enough of them to go around. So what does the Mexican government do in all its celestial wisdom? They basically clear the path for all these people to leave to the U.S., which means that the amount of Mexicans looking for work goes down. So unemployment technically goes down, too. Mexico's Secretary of Foreign Affairs, Jorge Castañeda, put it point blank, saying, quote, The United States will continue to be, to a greater or lesser extent, the safety valve for our surplus labor force. So while the Mexican government never really encouraged workers to cross the U.S. border illegally, it definitely turned a blind eye towards it. Like instead of shouting, hey, don't leave, they quietly whispered, oh, come on, no, don't leave. But if you do, make sure you wire us the cash. Western Union, please. And the U.S., despite the Bracero program ending in 1964, still benefited from the cheap labor that came from undocumented men and women. It too turned a blind eye toward unauthorized entries, all while spewing propaganda that illegals were taking jobs away from Americans. The U.S. was all like, hey, don't come, you're taking our jobs. But if you do come, we have jobs for you. I mean, I'm joking. Because this was actually a very serious and potentially dangerous move by both governments, fueled by politics and fear. With both countries benefiting from this unauthorized circular migration, it was more fluid for migrants to go back and forth across the border. Mexico's Secretary of Foreign Affairs even requested that Mexicans not be returned to Mexico. They told their consulates to stop the official process of helping folks who wanted to go back home to Mexico. Author Anna Raquel Minion tells some of those stories in her book, Undocumented Lives. Gregorio Casillas, a Mexican migrant in Los Angeles who dedicated his life to helping Mexican communities, recalled that consuls did absolutely nothing. If somebody came to the consulate and wished to return to his homeland, for instance, they gave him nothing. Surplus to the Mexican government and illegal in the U.S., these migrant workers no longer had a home. Those who came to the States out of necessity to survive were shit out of luck. The circular pattern jammed. Workers from overpopulated central Mexican regions left their homes, many never to return. Migrating north became a lucrative trade in Mexico. Everyone was making money every step of the way. Coyotes would rake in thousands of dollars a night, Contractors found work, finally building Abuelita's home on top of El Terreno she had owned for years. Mexicans working in the U.S. sent stacks of cash back to the rancho for food on the table, to build homes, 
churches, and paved roads. Mexico was in no hurry to shut that pipeline down. Men who would go back to the ranchos with stories about the land of jobs and opportunities. Stories that would inspire many more Mexicans to go to the U.S. because it was a gold rush in El Norte. And one of them was a 19-year-old kid from Carboneras, Jalisco. My dad. My dad's neighbors and even cousins would come back to my dad's rancho with nice cars and cash to spend. My dad was seeing how quickly families around his neighborhood were changing when money was sent back from the U.S. They would dress better, eat better. And for my dad, who many times only had tortillas con chile to eat, these changes were beyond his wildest dreams. So he left for the U.S. when he was just 19 years old, hoping to send money back to his family in Mexico. At the beginning of this podcast, I told myself that I was not going to ask my dad to tell me the story of why he came. And I was even more sure that I wasn't going to do it after talking to my mom. I was scared. Actually, no. More like selfish. I did not want to hear his story because I knew how painful it would be for me to hear my dad reflect on such a vulnerable moment in his life. But I found the courage to ask him a question I never dared to ask. You can hear how difficult it was for me asking my dad if growing up he had dreams of his own. And when he answered that he dreamed of going to school and getting an education, you can hear my heart break. My dad was seeing how his rancho was changing and he wanted that too for his family. Houses were being built. People were wearing shoes. And he wanted that too. He was the oldest and the responsibility weighed heavy on him. Coming to the U.S. seemed to be working for everyone else around him. Why couldn't he have a piece of it too? And soon as my dad arrived, he began building my abuelitos a home with the money he was sending back. His entire family went from living in a shack, everyone sleeping on the floor, to having a house of their own with walls and doors. And my dad did that for his family. Many young Mexican men did 
just that. But it wasn't just men who came to the U.S. looking for work on the farms. My mom tells me that she was pregnant and working in Washington picking apples. That's Wendy Salazar, born in a farm town in Washington State, where both her undocumented parents worked the apple harvest. They worked together, so my dad would help her out and say, you pick the ones at the bottom so you don't have to climb up the ladder and be stretching. So I believe at the time, she was pretty far along in her pregnancy, probably about five months or more uh, when she was doing this. I can't even imagine having to pick apples while pregnant. But most of these people migrated in a circular pattern. They came to trabajar, chambiar, then went back home. That's what my dad did. But he didn't work on the farms. He just kind of hung out and visited his family and sometimes would work in a warehouse in southeast Los Angeles. Muebles para para teatros. My dad says he made chairs for theaters, stadiums, all while undocumented. And after two weeks of working, he would go back home to Sinaloa. Since crossing the border was so easy, he didn't even think twice about going back and forth. And since none of the employers looking for cheap labor here in the U.S. were even asking for legal status, he knew he could just keep working until there was no more work. And then something else happened, thousands of miles away, that would change everything. The fall of Saigon. Out of the Shadows will be right back. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. 
luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. Now back to the show. According to a 2019 article in The Intercept, the idea of weaponizing the border, quote, reaches back to at least the 1970s, to the presidency of Jimmy Carter, when the U.S. began to turn its attention away from Vietnam toward its southern border. Within this last decade, the uh, problem of undocumented aliens or illegal aliens or undocumented workers has become increasingly severe. Yup. Jimmy Carter, the Democrat, liberal saint, requested and got approval for about $5 million to build a fence along the U.S. southern border. And my dad said it was simple economics. The economy was bad, and soldiers were coming home anticipating jobs, while at the same time, more and more people were fleeing a recession in Mexico. So President Carter and the INS started cracking down. Suddenly, the cheap labor that both Mexico and the U.S. benefited from that basically made it okay for our parents to come back and forth to make a quick buck and live a better life, became the problem. Suddenly, our parents became the people that nobody wanted. Now picture this. It's 1980, a cold and foggy night in South San Diego. Waiting in the fog are hundreds of Mexican migrants. They're being chased by Mexican police from the south, and hunted by Border Patrol in the north. The Coyote's strategy is to throw rocks at the Border Patrol, creating a diversion so the migrants could cross. But on this night, it's a setup. As the Coyotes look for the right moment to cast their stones, out of the thin fog come three ram chargers, rushing at them. Panicking, fearing for their lives, the migrants turn and start running back south. But there's another surprise waiting for them. Police officers from Tijuana, there to arrest them all. Suddenly surrounded, the migrants are forced back north to the border, this time against their will, leading them right into the border patrol. The migrants are apprehended, charged, convicted, and incarcerated before being sent back to Mexico. This story told by author Ana Raquel Minian in her book, Undocumented Lives, captures the sentiment of those in power in both the U.S. and Mexico. By the late 70s and early 80s, migrant workers were a people without a place. In their presence, their mere existence could be denied by those in power in both nations. These people were cornered and caught hiding in the fog between two countries that didn't want them. Their entrapment was part of a larger trend happening that may sound familiar. People without a home, without community, 
unwanted by the nation they came from and the place they were going. They belonged nowhere, ni de aquí, ni de allá, living in the shadows. So from that unhappy picture, we come back to the Mexican Brady Bunch photo at the top of the show. That was one of the last times my dad crossed as an undocumented Peter Brady into the U.S. just by driving here. In the early part of the 70s, before the crackdown. Then in December of 1979, on a rainy night, my father put on some rain boots, some Levi's, and crossed the hills under helicopter searchlights being chased by border patrol agents and crossed into a much different version of the America he used to come visit for weeks at a time. My dad and millions of others planted roots here in the U.S. just as much of the country had decided people like him were the problem plaguing the nation at the end of a socially and economically turbulent decade. And in 1980... The unlikely hero of our story gets elected president. President Magana is a courageous and talented leader. He's making admirable progress in the difficult task of moving El Salvador toward democracy. I let my preoccupation with the hostages intrude into areas where it didn't belong. She used 80 names, 30 addresses, 15 telephone numbers to collect food stamps, social security, But the key to our anti-drug strategy is to call instead for a national crusade against drugs. And we could have a very hostile and strange neighbor on our border. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. Like the migrants in the fog, our parents were trapped between two forces. The businesses who were exploiting them for their cheap labor and a growing conservative movement that wanted a crackdown at the border. Something needed to be done. Next time on Out of the Shadows, the story of a six-foot giant the grandson of an immigrant and author of Urca, the bill that ended up changing the course of this generation. We had to do something after 30 years of doing nothing. Out of the Shadows is written by Cesar Hernandez. It's also written, edited, hosted, and executive produced by Patty Rodriguez and Eric Galindo. It's produced by Betsy Cardenas, Karen Lopez, and Gabby Watts. It's sound design, mix, and mastered by Jesse Neiswanger. Our studio engineer is Clay Hillenberg. Karen Garcia, that's me, is our announcer. Out of the Shadows is a production of Sin Miedo Productions and School of Humans in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. The podcast is also executive produced by Giselle Bances, Virginia Prescott, Brandon Barr, and Chad Crowley. Our marketing and art team is led by Jasmine Mejia. Original music by E. Arenas. And if you loved his cover of Los Caminos de la Vida, this podcast theme song, you can listen to it on all music platforms. Historical audio for Out of the Shadows 
comes from the Reagan Presidential Library and the National Archives. Special thanks to Ian Vargas, Alex and Ollie, Caitlin Betger, Gab Chabran, Daisy Church, Angel Lopez Galindo, Juliana Gamis, Ryan Gordon, Brian Matheson, Claudia Marticorena, Oscar Ramirez, John Rodriguez, Juan Rodriguez, Joshua Sandoval, Eric Sklar, Tony Sorrentino, and Megan Tan. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.